to another episode of Beyond the Frets. I am extremely pleased to present Yak Soar. As you're going to find out in their interview, he was visiting Capital University, which is where I teach in Columbus, Ohio. He was coming all the way from Estonia. You're going to hear all about that. But before I get into the interview, I just want you to hopefully share, like, subscribe, rate, review, whatever you need to do to get Beyond the Frets out there into the public in people's ear holes. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my last episode with Abigail Comst, and I know you're going to love this episode with Mr. Yak Soar. So please sit down, grab an axe, and get abducted. This is Beyond the Frets. Soar, welcome to Beyond the Frets. I am very pleased to have Yak. He's a guitarist from Estonia, and he's visiting Capital University where I teach. He's been here the past week playing and hanging and teaching and kind of collaborating between uh, our two institutions that we hope to make a, uh, an exchange program. So Yak, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting. It has been a pleasure. Absolutely. So, Yak, I mean, I know we've kind of gotten to know each other a bit the past few days, but if you wouldn't mind telling the audience like a brief overview of who you are and where you come from and how you came to be one of Europe's preeminent jazz guitarists and educators. Yes, my name is Yak Sovar. I come from uh, Tallinn, Estonia, and uh, and uh, my first instrument was accordion. I studied accordion and uh, around when I was 13 I started to play guitar I always wanted to play guitar but but it was uh, Soviet Union back then and guitar was not so happening and it was difficult to get an electric guitar and uh, so I played guitar and uh, I studied in Copenhagen at the Rhythmic Music Conservatory which is a big and nice school in Denmark and uh, and after that, uh, went back to Estonia, and uh, yeah, here I am. <laughs> um, I have been playing. Uh, I think I I should call myself jazz guitar player, but but I play a lot of all kinds of uh, music and uh, a lot of folk music and a lot of classical music and some rock music and some avant-garde music. Uh, but I think it's all a part of jazz. For I think in the word jazz is, has different meaning for different people. But I think for me and uh, for many people in my country, jazz is a very wide term. That's the way it should be. That's We don't always have that in America, but I think here in Columbus, at least, it's a very wide definition of jazz. Because at this point, I mean... It could be anything from, uh, you know, Charlie Parker to Ornette Coleman to John Zorn to, you know, you fill in the blanks. It's everything at this point. Yes, some people like to call it improvised music, and uh, I'm also okay with that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I Music is music. 
I do what I uh, what I like to do. But I think the jazz mindset has given me good uh, platform to to go different directions and to to play with different musicians. So, so I think it I think it gives flexibility. So I if I play with folk musicians, I might play like they they want me to play in a way and uh, with classical musicians I I have to figure out how to play the way they want music to be played and uh, and with rock musicians same same thing so uh but I but I like it you know, I think to to play one thing uh, the whole life is would be boring but I'm I have been playing for decades now and the and I still uh, see so many, so much music, but I want to play, and so many musicians I want to play with, and which is new for me. So I'm, I feel uh, as a student, pretty much all the time. Yeah, I mean the skills of being a jazz musician, you're able to transfer to any genre and style and be flexible. In a way, yes, and I, I think it, it's just you must have the basics on your instrument, so you you can go different ways. So how did you come to find jazz? Because I know during the course of the week, you've mentioned that that behind the Iron Curtain, it was a little difficult to find American jazz recordings at all. So how did you come to find this music? Yes, the whole uh, story of jazz uh, on the other side of Iron Curtain is quite exotic for, for uh, people on this side. Because uh, after the Second World War, where U.S. and Soviet Union were... On the same side, uh, I think uh, American movies were shown in Soviet Union, but at the end of forties, the, the climate became very bad, you know, in between those countries, and uh, and Cold War started, and uh, and uh, and everything which came from West or America was uh, considered very bad and uh, wrong, and uh, and jazz was, of course, one. I mean, this is an American music, and at that time it was clearly American music. Mm. So it was almost banned. Not, not really, maybe. But uh, I, I know in Soviet Union people have been put to jail for playing jazz. Really? But not in Estonia. Okay. But I know that in the 50s uh, there were enthusiasts who wanted to play jazz, and they, uh, I mean, they had to do it hidden. You know, they had those secret. Uh, Rehearsals and secret concerts to each other and uh, wow yes and uh, and then in sixties um, it became a bit easier because it was it was this time when uh, Soviet Union opened up a bit and there were jazz festivals in Tallinn uh, which became international and it, and they were big events in Soviet Union Soviet Union was a big country I don't know two. 250 million people, you know, it's it's a big country, and it was one of the main jazz events in Soviet Union. So, so musicians all over the country and the audience came to Tallinn, and we had uh, musicians, I think, from Scandinavia first, and uh, and from the friendly East European socialist countries, and in uh, the famous stories. Uh, about uh, Tallinn Jazz Festival in 1967 when Charles Lloyd Quartet mm -hmm. um, 
visited Helsinki, which is okay. the capital of uh, Finland, uh, over the Gulf of uh, of Helsinki, uh, on the other side of sea, 80 kilometers, which is, what is it, how many miles is that? 50 miles. Yeah. <clears throat> and they, uh, they wanted to come to play in Soviet Union. And... Uh, and they did get tourist visas, but they didn't get working permits because the authorities were afraid, you know, mm. American music, riots, you know, something. Yeah. And uh, and they came, they arrived to Tallinn and uh, the festival started and the festival was huge in a big sports place, thousands of people. And uh, and they didn't play. On I think it started on Thursday or something. Wow. And Willis Conover was there, for example, from Voice of America. And it was really well covered and a very, very big event at that time. And uh, the quartet was, you know, Keith Jarrett and uh, Jack DeJohnette and uh, Ron McClure. Wow. And, uh, and so we played uh, basketball with the locals on the street and uh, we're hanging out. And then <clears throat> uh, I think uh, they didn't play also on Friday and on Saturday. And then I think there was an article in uh, New York Times on Saturday probably at, I think it was said that blacks were not allowed to play in Soviet Union or something like that I'm I'm sorry maybe I'm you know, this is not exactly what maybe what, what was written but anyway where was it was mentioned in the main um, one of the main uh, newspapers of mm-hmm. the US and uh, and Sunday morning there came a phone call from Moscow from the headquarters they, they must play. Wow. And Because uh, there was pressure at that point. Yeah, because it was political. It, it became politi- political and, you know, Moscow was like the... I mean, if Moscow told you something, then they had to do it. Right. And and uh, and so we played. But... Uh, and they were told to play 20 minutes, but uh, George Shavakian, who was the manager and was, uh, was, was together with them, he sensed a good uh, story and he said play 40 mm-hmm. uh, and he knew it was going to be recorded and they played I think we played in one row 40 minutes and then uh, it was uh, 20 minutes standing ovations and they couldn't play any encore because the drums were taken away immediately when they stopped wow so uh, so they played it was wonderful and uh, you know everybody was just super happy and uh George Avakian bought the recording, the rights for the recording from the Estonian radio, and the, and we went also to Leningrad and Moscow, two two big cities of uh, Soviet Union, of Russia, and uh, they didn't, we were not allowed to play concerts, but they jammed with local musicians. Huh. Okay. And then we left, uh, we went home to US, and uh, it was released. Wow. And Charles Lloyd in the Soviet Union, and. Uh, with, um, it's a very, very nice cover with kind of this red, with Soviet thing, you know, but uh, also uh, uh, actually Estonian national colors, mm. uh, blue, black and white, which were forbidden. It was banned. If you used this combination in Estonia, that time you were sent to jail. Wow. So, uh, so uh, and, the, and the photo of, of the quartet being in, on, on, uh, on the red square in Moscow. So it was cool, you know, but uh, in uh, Tallinn, uh, the festival was banned because the local communist party thought it was too much 
too too much too many problems and the the people who who organized the festival they also had problems and some people were fired and you know so so the festival stopped so so I'm telling this to give you kind of background of yeah. uh, of uh, Soviet Union and then uh, well so can I say something yes. is it, is it were they against was it mostly that it was uh, an American music and and if it was infiltrated in the Soviet Union that could be used to foment riots or or westernized propaganda or were they actually against the music itself as well as a concept jazz well, I think con- it's about uh, propaganda I mean as okay. a, the whole idea everything that came from from western from America was bad you know and mm-hmm. and and for example I can give you another example uh, all the programs what the musicians played they had to be accepted before you know you had to give your program to the censor and when they looked checked what you play and when they said okay we accept you know and where were there were those percentages maybe 75 percent of the music had to be soviet offers and uh, oh. and then maybe 10 percent from uh, friendly countries and then maybe 10 percent from other countries and then and then what was done they, they uh, of course with censors you know they didn't know anything about music so they played like I don't know Stella by Starlight by Ivanov you know or you know they just oh like they uh, <laughs> they made it like uh, they made up the uh, the composers they made up the composers to to be able to play this stuff wow so uh, so this was the climate and, uh, and I I was a teenager in the 80s and when things started to change so it started to open up and uh, and another uh, uh, exotic uh, side of, of Soviet music life was that you know of course there were, there were no West Western LPs or albums available and then <clears throat> and then if somebody you know many Estonians uh, went to West at the end of the war. We were escaping from the Soviets and uh, and uh, many stayed in Sweden and many in Canada. We had we had a very big uh, okay. Estonian uh, hmm. m- big number of Estonians in in Toronto, for example, but also in states and in Australia and everywhere else. Also, so you know, we sometimes sent albums to you know, maybe you wanted a new Led Zeppelin album or something, you know. So, so it came. You know, so it was, albums were there, and also some jazz albums. Uh, and I know uh, one guitar player in Estonia in the seventies. Uh, his relatives sent him a guitar player with magazine. Mm. They subscribed him, so we, he got it uh, maybe a few months later. But this information somehow came to somebody. So I think the whole country was reading this one magazine. You know because. <laughs> right. It was the only one, you know, in in, in Estonia. Wow. But uh, but the LPs were, uh, it was uh, really a hard currency, and uh, okay. and an LP Western LP cost maybe fifty rubles, and the uh, average uh, monthly salary was hundred twenty. So it was uh, wow. it was very expensive, and uh, those people they met who had LPs and uh, had interest in music. They met. Uh, in one place in uh, close to in a park close to Old Town in Tallinn every Sunday morning, and when everybody had uh, LPs with them, and when they people were looking what you have and uh, what do you have, and when they exchanged for a week, you know, and then you recorded it at home on a 
mm. tape and uh, and then you gave it back exchange back next uh, next week so this is how how western music was spread and my, and i have a older brother who played drums and was interested in more in rock music and he also had a few albums and uh, and somehow he got some some jazz rock from somebody and, uh, and i listened to everybody but but he listened and uh, and uh, this jazz rock sounded good for me so uh, i was into blues and uh, I okay was listening to eric clapton and uh, and this kind of stuff at that time and then i started to i was beca- i became interested in jazz rock and uh, and so little by little i moved to go towards jazz and then uh, at the end of 80s already uh, it became a bit more open but what was good in Tallinn where I live is that uh, we could always see Finnish TV it was illegal but, uh, okay. but uh, and we had those special built in things in the TV so we oh, could yeah. see we, yeah. we could get the signal converters or something yes converters and uh, and uh, <coughs> so so Finnish TV showed a lot of mm. jazz actually and we have a very good jazz festival body jazz festival which right. had uh, big acts and we had uh, at that time many concerts were uh, broadcasted so so this is where the information came wow. so that's basically my childhood background when you mean jazz rock who who are you listening to exactly i think the first one was actually yellow jackets with uh, okay. with robin ford and uh, yeah this is very sad and robin ford was maybe the first jazz rock guitar player i was listening to yeah and then came uh, Schofield, right this funk funk records from 80s and uh, and mike stern 80s records and and chaco and a little bit later pat Maffini and then Pete frisell you know so little by little learning the what was happening in the west yeah and when did you decide you wanted to be a professional musician and and how is that s- is that a normal path in Estonia? Like what, what's, what's the kind of um, usual path or trajectory if you want to be a professional musician in Estonia? Is that rare or no? Estonia is, uh, music is uh, important in Estonia and has been important. And for example, in Soviet times, it was, uh, it was even more important because it was a kind of little bit political also, like resistance thing. Because we uh, we uh, held uh, big singing festivals every fifth year, where uh, about thirty thousand singers sing in a choir, and uh, which which is great, really a nice feeling. Like I think for you, it's like a football game uh, at maximum. <laughs> you know, this right. thing that you feel this energy in the air, and uh, and singing. Uh, we have this folk singing tradition which is very strong and and uh, and also classical tradition which is connected to Russian mm-hmm. tradition and uh, and and before the Soviet time many Estonians studied in St. Petersburg uh, conservatory which was probably one of the best schools in the in Europe at that time for classical music so so the music uh, tradition has, has been strong and uh, and I also I sang in a choir since I was six in a boys choir and uh, and traveled 
mm. not in the Soviet Union, where I was a kid and studied uh, in a music school, studied accordion and got quite, I think, solid uh, theory background and, uh, and some piano. And uh, so it was, uh, I think it was normal. I, and, and, and we still, I mean, we had this very, I, I think, relatively high level network of music schools for children. Okay. It's actually still do. Nowadays it's a bit different. But, uh, but uh, yeah, the access for studying an instrument was very easy. And okay. it was relatively cheap, I think, also. Because, you know, there had to be something for the kids to right. do, you know. And, and I think to study an instrument was a very regular uh, way, you know, to spend time. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was normal, yes. And but uh, then the ch- time started to change at the end of eighties, and uh, and I was playing my jazz, and we did the blues band at school, and uh, and uh, we didn't have a higher education in uh, for jazz or, uh, right. or pop or rock. So uh, and we had this uh, music high school, which which had uh, also. Jazz, uh, I think it's established uh, 1979. Uh, and it was, it only could be established because there was one also in Moscow at the time. I know it was politically okay. very hard, but uh, mm. but that's very, there is actually a very good jazz department in Moscow still going on. Okay. Which is more like a hard bop school. Okay. <clears throat> still now. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, as uh, as in Soviet Union, you you could skip Soviet Army when you when you were in university. I went to study economy because there was no no possibility for me to study music. And the Soviet Army was could, that could be a really a, a hardcore thing because uh, yeah. because we were the how to say outsiders a little bit like you know everybody knew we are against. <laughs> so it was and you. Know, you 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 could easily be sent somewhere very remote place thousands of miles you know and you were the only one you know and everybody else was yeah completely from a different culture so it was uh, nobody really wanted to to go there yeah so i studied economy and uh, practiced a lot and uh, and then i played my first jazz gigs and uh, i started to organize a jazz festival and so uh, later i went to, to copenhagen and so it has been quite natural for me and with your first jazz experiences on guitar were you studying with anyone or did you just lift things from records i actually studied uh, estonia has been a country of guitar players in many mm. ways and we 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 had uh, a guitar player whose name is tit paulus who who was kind of team all of soviet union or some kind of uh, like a melodic, uh, very nice jazz player. He's now seventy-seven, maybe. Lives on an island in Estonia, and okay, and he's still with us. Just he doesn't play anymore. But uh, but I think he somehow maybe brought this guitar culture, jazz guitar culture, to Estonia, and and uh, and the guitarist and the guitar teacher Marzo, who is about. 10 years older than me. He was teaching in this music high school and uh, 
and he was playing with my brother and I asked him mm. for a lesson and he he did actually three lessons with me at his home on Saturday and each lesson was maybe three hours and we met after half an yeah. half a year and he gave me a lot of homework and all the basics and I, I actually did the homework yeah and he was like he said oh wow you know so uh, so I think those three lessons this is my basic uh, or my main education actually because I think he 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 showed me the right things yeah on guitar and you were motivated and I was motivated yes yeah and uh, and and uh, yeah, later I studied with him in the music school also. But actually, when I already I had all the basics with him. Okay, I see. Yes. So then you went to Copenhagen and you studied. You got a degree there for music. Yes. Okay. Why Denmark? Uh, this is a long story. I mean, now I'm telling a very long stories. You know, it's okay. Sorry, but. Uh, but um, you know when the festival in uh, Tallinn was banned in 1967, there was it was quiet for a long time, and at the beginning of the 80s, uh, the conservatory students managed to uh, start student jazz festival. Okay. And uh, somehow it was allowed because like okay youth and you know blah blah blah, and uh, which actually grew. grew grew a big festival pretty fast because there were so few festivals in Soviet Union at that time. And uh, in the 19s, uh, uh, things changed and uh, it was economy-wise very hard and uh, all the whole um, life was quite uh, wild, you know, the old rules didn't... Right. I mean, were over, you know, but the new rules were still not established, so it was a bit... Were you completely separated from the Soviet, I guess, Russia yeah, economically? Yes. So you yes, were yes. self-contained? Yes, so, it, so everything changed very fast and wow. people didn't have money and it was uh, hard and the, the student festival also started kind of from the top or became smaller and uh, tried to... and was focused more on young, young uh, musicians. And uh, a friend of mine organized it, and I started to help him, and uh, and started actually to organize myself. Wow! But at that time, the schools in Scandinavia and this all was like you know moon. We were looking like wow, you know somewhere yeah, yeah. far away and high. And uh, and we managed to get a band from Sweden to the festival, and uh, and then my friend and drummer of my band he asked how about studying in study possibilities in uh, Sweden and when they proposed him to go to Sweden and try to get in to a school and he got in which we were all very surprised and and then uh, a Denmark, Danish group came over and I we were jamming in Tallinn with them and uh, they said you should come to the you should apply and then I applied and I got in which was also a bit surprising so, uh, so we were the first ones who hmm. actually uh, had a jazz degree, or I mean, uh, higher education in jazz. Yeah, and we went back, and uh, actually, we we still we are the main teachers of the jazz faculty in the music academy. Still. Oh wow! Hmm? Wow, that's amazing. So you and your what? What is your colleague and friend play? He's a drummer. Drummer. Donald okay. Ruben. Yes. Okay. And then after us, uh, the saxophone player came to. Copenhagen, and he's also teaching. And he came. He studied in Peabody here with uh, 
Harry Thomas also did a oh, yeah. graduate thing. But that was a bit later when already things changed and there was more possibilities. But uh, the first half of 90s was quite uh, rough in many ways. Mm. Yeah, I can't imagine. And that's when you left. Or yeah. when were you in Denmark? I, I left it bit later, 96. Okay. Then all the things became a little bit, to be a little bit better. Gotcha. And so after Denmark, you went back to Tallinn and... Yes, I, I, Denmark was very nice and I, I, I had a great band uh, called the Dynamite Vikings, which we still play okay. sometimes. And it was good and I, <laughs> and I started to play... Uh, with German musicians in Germany and uh, this networking was actually was a good place for networking and uh, but I, I I wanted to go back because Estonia is a nice place and it was home and uh, and uh, I went back and then the music academy proposed also to start teaching there and this, and then establish the jazz department and things started to happen and and then we organized, uh, we, st- we started the Estonian Jazz uh, Union, which is like a, oh, wow. a like an organization to promote Estonian jazz um, in Estonia and abroad also. Mm. And those organizations are quite well established in Scandinavia, so I learned from Den- Denmark right. some things. And, and this went very well. We didn't have a jazz club, regular jazz club in Tallinn at that time. <coughs> and then... Uh, we found a place which we thought would looks good or it doesn't look embarrassing if there are 30 people in the audience. Yeah, yeah. And for the opening chamber came 300, which was wow. like, we were like, okay. And and then the concerts were packed for years. Somehow wow. it was, there was hunger or need for this. Mm-hmm. And the other cities wanted it too. And I was organizing everything alone almost. So like it was like 130 concerts per year I was uh, organizing for, oh for some gosh. years. And then, but then we... I got some other people to to work also, and I st- I'm still a member of the board, but uh, not doing daily yep. things there. And so, so this organization is is going to be uh, 20 also next year. Wow! So it has been very, I think, in very beneficial for the organizing the <coughs> the jazz environment in Estonia and also many many activities abroad. In Europe is that tied with uh, the country? Is it a non-profit? Or yes, it's a non-profit. Okay. And, and, and as we did so well, somehow it's also I mean it's government supported by many actions nowadays because we could go to this field which was before maybe only classical, you know. Mm. <clears throat> and but they accepted us, and so it has been it has been quite nice. Thank you. 
So, and maybe discuss a little bit, actually, how, how long is a higher education degree in, in Europe or Estonia? Is it four years like here or what's the system like? The system is nowadays, I think it's quite mostly the same all over the Europe. It's three years bachelor and two years uh, master. Okay. So it's three plus two. Okay. Gotcha. And doctorate. I mean, Estonia, you can, in our school, you can do doctorate. And we have uh, the first uh, jazz doctorate from our school uh, graduated uh, last year. Wow. Yes. A very nice pianist. Okay. Kirke Karja, who is actually making a really nice career in Europe now, nowadays also. How long is the doctoral program? Hmm. That's a good question. I think... Uh, I'm not sure uh, they all do it so fast, but I think maybe it's two years or three years or something. Okay. So sometimes they stay longer. Yeah, right, right. I, I never did it, so I, I'm yeah. not so familiar with that. Okay. So how how would you describe um, the culture at the Estonian Academy of Music as far as the jazz program? I mean, I know I already know how open you are as far as your definition of jazz, but how many faculty are there? What are the ensembles and the courses like? The idea um, from the beginning was that there should be a lot of ensemble playing. And uh, and also we have quite a lot of theory because because uh, I think jazz musicians must have good ears. You ha you should understand what you hear or you could you should recognize what it is. Mm -hmm. And we have uh, two years of Jazz history also, and quite a lot of history courses. Because uh, because uh, due to Soviet Union, there is still, I think, this lack or gaps in the jazz history. And I think now newer generations, uh, they have a little bit different uh, problems also with knowing with history knowledge. There's uh, so much information, yep. and it's hard to really absorb or to concentrate on something. So there's everything coming, and if you listen from internet you often don't know what you listen to so I, I think listening uh, I mean back 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 to our I don't know teen teenager years you got you had some tapes and when you went for to your grandparents for a summer and then you came back you you had those tapes had the cassettes had holes you know in tape maybe and and you knew all the solos by heart so if I listen to if I hear those records which I listened back then, some Bat Nafini or Schofield, I mean, I know basically all, I can whistle along all the solos. So this is, uh, so this is uh, important. I think you have to, you have to listen to music at least 10 times. You know? I think also here, I have, I have heard in some universities that in, in America that you, you get homework, like you, you have to listen every day, I don't know, three songs every week, but you have to listen at least seven times, that's your homework. Because otherwise you just listen once and then you listen next thing and next thing and next thing and next thing, but you actually don't know what you listen to. So, so if you if you want to learn something, you have to listen to it maybe hundred times. You know. Yeah, me, I, I I think students, speaking as myself too, it, we can forget that music can be a passive or active activity, and so often it's very passive. You listen to music in the car. You listen to music while you're doing your dishes. You. You know, it's just on in the background, but if you really want to dive into something, you have to put on some headphones or some nice speakers and listen on repeat and repeat and repeat and, you know, and also train your ears to listen to different instruments on the recording. Because for me, if I listen to music 
I hear harmony and I hear guitar. I, I don't hear I don't hear vocals or words, and I don't hear some other things. So I have to actively put my ears in a space where I'm listening to the bass part or I'm listening to the lyrics. Otherwise, it's just my ears automatically go to the same place if it's passive. So for me, yeah, we've got to listen to it many, many times to absorb it all. And then uh, this coming back to the jazz department or the conception, I think uh, the idea was to school musicians who who will sur survive also internationally, uh, which is not an easy task. And of course, uh, it's up to the students themselves. They they have to do the work, so you cannot school yeah. anybody, but you can give them possibilities. So uh, so we have. From the beginning, we have been very international, and we have made like numerous courses and workshops and masterclass and exchange projects, mm. and uh, and also focusing on the students individually, so, because their interests might be very different and sometimes maybe even opposite, you know, in music, and uh, that's okay. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, the first year we do standards all of them and some of them do more standards later but some people go somewhere else yeah and uh, and the, oh, the main criteria is that they do it really well what they do so mm -hmm. they can do what they want and and we have had some very nice hard pop players and we have had some completely other players and uh, and it's up to them and and uh, I'm quite happy we have really some people who who are successful internationally and doing their own things and have their own ideas. So, uh, so it's, it has been actually good. Yeah. And, and listening to that approach, I, I very much admire that. And that's how I wish it could be here. But in America, you know, like at our conservatory, it's so difficult to have a very individualized approach just because of, of the grading system and the way the curriculum works. So how does, how do, how do you do grading and curriculum and like, do you do juries? Like how do you test quote unquote test your students and pass them? This is um, an, another very long <laughs> topic, <laughs> but uh, I think everything is doable. Uh, the, question is what is the criteria yeah right right so if you say okay you have to play Chinese steps in this speed this mm -hmm. amount of notes in, in second and if you fail you know you fail that's one way of doing it and 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 of course the more open the criteria gets the more subjective it is mm -hmm. but in in general I think we uh, we have not been very hard grading students because uh, I think uh, life will grade them anyway. So, as, so we have tried to be more supportive, mm. and uh, and of course it's individual. Some people sometimes need more, yeah, push, more push, and some people don't need. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe for some students it has not been so good because we are kind of we are not so hard. I'm, I'm not so hard. I mean, I. I tell the students what I think and when I, what they should do and I show them the things. But if they don't want to do all those things, that's also okay for me because 
We have to find our own path. And sometimes yeah. some people say later, yeah, man, I understood later that I have, I still have to do those things. And that's yeah. okay. I mean, they're young. <laughs> it's only a brief time in their life. So, so uh, yeah, it, it's quite open. I like that. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to bring. That's what I want to start more here. Yeah. So I admire that a lot. But of course the perspective, uh, I mean, here is different from, from Estonia because we are in a way very remote land in the, in the jazz and also in Europe it's, it's on the edge somewhere far away and, uh, mm. and uh, the jazz market is not growing. So, so we, are, we are not very necessary. I mean, we came to a party when it was maybe already over. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so there is some kind of uh, not stress, but but it it would be better if if we were a little bit exotic, you know. Mm. So uh, it's in in this case, it's good to do your really your own stuff, which is different. And uh, I mean to play mainstream jazz and go international. It's hard. We have some people who do it, and, uh, and they are very, very good. And somebody is living in New York and making really making it, and that's that's great. But, yeah. but I know it's a very, very hard work from since early childhood. You know. How do you define mainstream? I don't. Let's say hard bop. You know. Or okay. Kind of, yeah. More swinging. Yeah. Okay. Because because if. I mean, if if an Estonian hard pop band wants to get a job in Germany, then the festival would probably still hire Americans because it's more appropriate or kind of more authentic, which is mm. logical. So yeah. if you come from Estonia, you should do something which is your thing. So so uh, to find your thing is uh, is crucial. If you mm. if if you come from a small remote place. Well, I guess segueing into that topic, you know, you've, you've had this amazing career as an educator and also a promoter and organizer, but how have you been growing alongside as an artist, as a composer, as a band leader and finding your voice on the guitar? Yeah, there are so many interesting things in music. So I have just tried to to do what I want and I, I always actually did what I wanted. So I... I didn't really care so much what <laughs> the others thought about it. So uh, that's basically it, you know. <laughs> and and uh, starting as a jazz jazz, like a fanatic, you know, in t- late teenager, and then uh, in Denmark, going also more experimental and uh, and meeting people like Jim Black, you know, so American oh, yeah. people who who came over over in Denmark at that time. And then also uh, a lot of folk music. I have been some, somehow we have this folk tradition and uh, and using folk music in my music and uh, and then uh, later years more classical music. Uh, a lot of Johann Sebastian Bach and uh, also playing a lot with uh, saxophone player from Moscow, Russia. Alexei Grulov, and we have done some uh, classical music albums with Russian classical music and jazz, which oh, wow. has been very, very um, educative for me also. Because a lot of jazz, I would even say contemporary jazz harmony comes from the 19th century, late 19th century classical music. So, 
time. Just to see how it works there and to 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 improvise on those harmonies and those forms is uh, challenging and mm-hmm. uh, very nice. How, I wanted to ask about the Estonian folk tradition because you brought that up. How how do you um, describe that music? What are the are there traditional folk instruments that are typically played? Yeah, I think it has two different categor- categories. The old older layer is folk uh, vocal music. Okay. So it's vocal music, uh, which the nature is. It's quite simple. So and it has. Uh, it's like a story storytelling, endless storytelling, uh, mm. singing, singing simple melodies, and uh, there is a four singer who sings something, and then the choir answers, okay. repeats, and uh, I think it. As we are quite in in the north, you know, when. Uh, in winter, the days are short and the nights are long and dark. You know, so people were just singing for hours, mm. and and uh, and it uh, brings you somewhere else. It takes you away. So it's in a way kind of trance. Hmm. And uh, and this music uh, can be in- interpreted in that modern context also which is of course a, a bit dangerous i mean it, it 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 has this is being doing this is being done very much now and uh and you can be put uh, western harmony you know and this and oh, you can I put see. the beat or whatever and, and sometimes i think this frame the new thing it kills a little bit the original thing mm. but you can also make i mean there are many many versions where, where the original stays fresh and the, and the original message is somehow amplified. We have this choir composer, Velia Tormis, who, who by accident found this old folk song in the 60s. At that time, this old stuff was boring and it was in archives and nobody okay. really did it. It was dying. <laughs> but he somehow brought it up and started to do it and he, he became one of the leading choir composers I, I think we can say in the world hmm. uh, 70s 80s I, I just knew a new book was published here in states in English about him okay last week I think oh wow he's not with us anymore but he's uh, I mean his music is really great and, and we actually he, he did kind of remix of the old stuff in a modern choir uh, setup, and we we did um a remix of his remix uh, in the modern jazz uh, or modern contemporary oh wow set up with two singers and two guitar players which was oh, cool. very very uh, very successful hmm. and um, yeah we have played a lot in Europe so so it's it, it is very um, inspiring and then there's also uh, um, dance music played by instruments and uh, I think the main instrument used to be kanel, which is like a sitter. Okay. You play with fingers, many strings. Okay. And it used to be an old version is six strings. And uh, and also this, I have I have I have played a duo and and uh, with a kanel player, guitar and this. 
it's a very kind of minimalistic, it's a quiet instrument, so you have to... I see. You have to go to this level, but um, very many nuances also, very nice music. And then there's, of course, accordion, you know, and later bagpipe, you know. Hmm. And I'm, at the moment, I'm also interested in this uh, stuff again, and how to play it on, to put it on electric guitar, and, uh, yeah. and it might be some polka or something, uh, two chords, but I... I uh, started to learn one tune, I think, last fall, at the same time with a violin piece by Bach, and I actually, I, I think the Bach piece was easier to play than the wow. polka. So it's it's actually, if you want to really play it on guitar uh, properly and make it sound really great. So, uh, so it's very challenging and very interesting for me. And you've, and you've, clearly taking inspiration from that folk tradition and brought it into some sort of jazz improvised context. Yes, and I always like this improvising part of it. Yeah. Yes. Is there is is there a tradition of improvisation in the Estonian folk music or not really? Yes, I think also this old folk folk singing was very much improvised and the the big uh, singers, you know, they were famous people who were singing. They, of course, they had their own versions of songs for hours, maybe, you know, telling stories. But they were just improvising. They were singing maybe about this microphone here or this bottle here, you know, just to add it to the song. Right. Because people needed some uh, some warmth during the cold nights. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. So, so this improvisational part of it is, has always been there. And I think now also those wax roll recordings of uh, instrumentalists, I think they are really variating those dance songs mm. a lot. So if somebody says that it, something has to be played like that or this guy played it like that, I mean, you would even maybe listen to the same recording one minute later, he's playing completely different. So it right. So it was, I think it it has been very open. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but maybe you could tell us a little about, bit about some of your um, long-standing bands and projects and how we can find you on the internet and your upcoming projects, that kind of stuff. Yes. No, no. at the moment, I'm mostly um, involved in a trio with an Armenian bass player, Ara Yaralyan, who lives in Tallinn, Estonia, okay. with me, and who, who actually lived in Boston for a while, but moved back to Estonia. And uh, a Finnish drummer, Marku Hounaskari, who is maybe the most well-known member of the trio. He's on many ECM recordings, for example. Okay. Playing a lot with Norwegian musicians, yeah. for example. And this is, uh, in a way, it's like a piano trio. We have a piano, or this is how I think about it. That the guitar has to cover the wide range mm -hmm. of uh, frequencies. Yeah. And it's not really guitar trio in a rock, jazz rock way, or it's not a guitar trio in a in a traditional jazz standard way. And uh, yeah, we just released a new album a month ago, and uh, and we got a re review in Germany which said that this the style of the trio is a non non cliche guitar jazz. So we thought oh, this is, this sounds good for us. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is the main thing now. And uh, 
And, uh, in, and also another thing, I play a lot of Bach still. I play with a classical uh, piano player, Ivo Zillama, who is really a monster piano player or harpsichord player and very rhythmically very close to uh, like a metal band rhythm section, I think, you know, hmm. play those Bach, uh, polyphonic things. It, it's really very groovy, you know, mm-hmm. really, and it has to be actually very um, solid. Yeah. And and he can do it, and uh, I really love to play with, with him. And, uh, yeah, some folk music projects, Nowadays, everything is easy to find in in, in uh, st- streaming or in YouTube. Uh, quite many videos up there also. So, if you're interested, you can you can find. And I have a website, uh, uh, soar.com. So, if you if you go there, there's a there's a whole back catalog and uh, discography and everything and links. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely be sure to post all the links in uh, in the show notes, and everyone will know how awesome Yak Soard is. Thank you so much for being on Beyond the Frets. So the day after this interview, we had a quartet gig, and I just had the most fun with Yak. We really didn't prepare a whole lot because we were super busy, and we were calling tunes. And you know, not only is he an incredible guitarist technically, but he he just knows all the tunes, he knows the style, but he can go equally between bebop lines to rock and blues and avant-garde and just super adventurous and very funny, which I love. We had just a blast going kind of nuts <laughs> over some standard tunes and really just enjoyed knowing him as a person and a player. And I look forward to hopefully many years of collaboration. Please check out his recorded music. There's a huge output of his own projects and his work as a sideman. He's all over the place. He's easy to find. So please check out Yak. And of course, stay tuned for the next episode of Beyond the Frets. Until then, hope you have a great couple weeks.